0: To see you, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today to, to lift them up. Okay, I'm going to do a quick survey. How many of you spend your extra hour sleeping? Okay, how many of you spend the extra hour to stay awake? Uh, okay, a few of you. Uh, that that as uh, a personality profile inventory, Stephanie. I just figured that out. All right, quick. Ah, uh, I tell you, you know, last night was Halloween night, and uh, many people didn't come out. We were fortunate to have a good group at our house. We kind of do a, a ministry thing at the house. We've been doing it for decades, and so it was a good thing. To, but when it was over, I uh, I thought, gosh, can I trust my phone can I trust my watch to, cause which is connected to my phone? Can I trust those things to do the time? So I set, what did I do? I set my phone, I set my watch, and I found an alarm clock in the other room that I take it in. Old fashioned one. I knew I could control that one. So I set all three of them, woke up before any of them went off. And so they did me exactly no good. But, uh, that's, uh, that's just kind of the way I'm wired. Uh, I wanted to be here today, because if I wouldn't be here, uh, Brett or Alan would have to step in and, and pick it up. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Genesis 41. We're, uh, we're looking at the life of Joseph in the Old Testament, and let me remind you why we're doing this. We're calling it Test of Character. 2020 has been, uh, a test of character for all of us. I mean, we, we have, uh, been going through this year. Nothing. I mean, we're coming up on Thanksgiving and as Alan said, and, and, uh, we're not able to do our family meal here this year. And, uh, so it's just, you know, there's some frustrations, but, but, uh, I was driving in my car yesterday and the Spirit 105 already had Christmas songs on. So I said, okay, here we go. Uh, so Christmas has been bumped at into October now. And, uh, of course, Lowe's and Walmart knew that already, but uh, we're just catching up. But uh, we've been looking at this test of character. We've been looking at how God is building us uh, for a certain purpose, and God has been doing that in the life of Joseph, and, and we've been looking at that. But in, in um, Genesis chapter 41 is where we're going to be in just a moment. But let me give you a, a thought as we get into this, in, in, uh, 1983 to 1987, a television show, uh, took place in the United States, which introduced us to four, uh, characters that we fell in love with. Hannibal, Face, Murdoch, and B.A., which is known as 18. Uh, Jason, were you alive in, in, a- okay, okay, okay. Um, but the A team. We were introduced to the A team. Now, for you that weren't alive, let me you know, let me kind of fill you in a little bit. Is that um, every show, every episode would have an enemy or a situation that would take special skills to overcome, and th- thus the A team were called in, right? And uh, they were called in because of their special abilities. And at some point in the show, though, you may, may remember, is the A-team looked doomed. It looks like the situation of the enemy was going to take over and the A-team was not going to be able to fix it. Or B.A. would have to fly in an airplane. You remember that uh, situation? But then the tables would turn. And some strategy would be implemented to put forth that would conquer the situation or the enemy. And the, in the end, the A-team would be triumphant and save the world, right? And Hannibal Smith would, uh, somewhere towards the end of the show, would light his cigar and he would say this: "I love it when a plan I love it when a plan comes together." That became a line in our culture, and I love it when a plan comes together. Well, if you've been keeping up with the life of Joseph, you would be wondering, as he probably was, is there a plan? He was sold by his brothers into slavery at the age of 17. He was at Potiphar's wife, and he was uh, falsely accused uh, by Potiphar's wife. Thus, he was put in prison. He was forgotten by the... uh, cupbearer that uh, Brett shared with us last week. And so he's been in this situation and you're thinking, is there a plan? Well, just like the A-team would find itself on doomsday, which Joseph may have found himself, there was a bigger plan and that plan was going to come together. And so in Genesis chapter 41, we're going to pick it up today and we're going to cover a lot of scriptures. So I'm going to ask you to stick with me and I'm going to kind of give each Passage that I'm going to cover. A a title. This first one is in his time. God got Pharaoh's attention. In his time, in God's time, the fullness of time, He got Pharaoh's attention. So, 41 verse one. After two whole years, that means after two years, after the the cupbearer had forgot about him. So, if you're doing the math, at the age of 17. Uh, his brothers sold him into slavery. We're now talking 13 years later. So Joseph, most scholars believe he was 30 when this particular uh, episode took place. So after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile River. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. Now, he literally awoke disturbed. Uh, you know, you have one of those dreams that uh, maybe you don't even remember it all, but man, it, it's something disturbed your spirit in there. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke. And behold, it was a dream. If you're keeping score, there was, that was the fifth behold in eight verses. And the word behold here, the reason it's used is that this is important to uh, to remember. So behold, it was a dream. And so in the morning, his spirit was troubled and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. we are stop there. There was none of his wives men or dreams interpreters that could interpret this particular dream. Either they were fearful to even give a guess Or they just did not know uh, what the answer may be. But Pharaoh is very, very disturbed. And the reason I call this part of the passage, in God's time, he got Pharaoh's attention, is because God literally got Pharaoh's attention. And you know, sometimes, I want you to hear this, God has to shake what you have built your life on other than him to get your attention. It may be a job. It may be your health. It may be certain things that God in his sovereignty shakes so that he can get your attention. And for, for Pharaoh here, there were two dreams. The first dream that disturbed him had to do with cows by the Nile River. Now the Nile, everything for the Egyptian culture, the Nile was based around it. It provided for them. It, the nile river is the longest river in the world it is uh, 4132 miles long it was the it was the resource that egypt banked upon in fact they had a goddess by the name of anuket who was the goddess of the nile and uh, they would they were dependent on the on the nile river and the cattle were sitting uh, standing out in the Out in the river, and they were eating the reeds. And then comes these skinny cows, eat up the the plump cows. And this creates a a disturbance in Pharaoh's heart. And then the second one is another great resource, which was the wheat of Egypt. Um, They had a god by the name of Nabor, who was the god of wheat, and uh, Egypt would have been a breadbasket of the world at this time, and wheat was always in abundance, and they, they needed that wheat desperately to feed all the people. Now, the two greatest resources for Egypt, the Nile with the cattle and the wheat, were being shaken, and this disturbed Pharaoh. Let me ask you this question just to think about. What has God had to remove from your life or shake to grab your attention? Was it a job? Was it your health? Was it a situation? Was it financial struggles? What has God used before? And then the second question is this. What is one thing you are dependent on for life and purpose that God may need to shake today? Oh, we don't want to think about that. God, I'll just listen to you, but you know you won't. Your affluence keeps you from listening, so God has to get your attention. That's what he did with with Pharaoh. And And I thought about this. You know, affluence can be more destructive than hunger and thirst. In the United States... We uh, we love our affluence. We're we're we worship our affluence because it makes life easy. And and we want a president right on on Tuesday. That's going to make life easier for us is what we're looking to. We look to the government to provide that for us. But I want you to know in our affluence, we have turned away from God and God wants to s- stir up that hunger and thirst within us. I I know from a personal experience, God sometimes has had to shake me up. And the way I look at it is that it's like he has to take a chisel or sandpaper because he is at work on me to make me more like Jesus. I know that. And and good things aren't going to do it. So he takes sandpaper and he takes a chisel and he starts to work on me in those areas that uh, I need to be worked on. And that's what he's doing with Pharaoh here. Is he's, he's disturbing Pharaoh in such a way that he gets his attention. Let's pick it up in verse 9. I call these next couple of verses, in his time, in God's time, the chief cupbearer remembers. Pick it up in verse 9. It says, then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And when we told him, he interpreted our dreams for us and giving us interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about I was restored in my office to my office and the baker was hanged brett went over this in great detail with us last week how the cub bear and the baker had these dreams and and uh, and then joseph interpreted those dreams and the and all of a sudden the cub bear remembers he remembers two years and all of a sudden he remembers uh joseph at this time to help pharaoh out but let me tell you what God was doing in those two years. He was setting the stage for a historical movement. It wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to arrange a little scenario. We're talking about a world, a worldwide movement. And we've tried to share this with you every week in that Joseph... God had to get down to Egypt so that Israel could get down there, so they would have an area where they could multiply, become millions. Then they, Moses led them out back to the Promised Land. Out of that lineage, out of the line of Judah, would come the Savior of the world. God was using two years... Between the cupbearer having his dream and being remember, remembering Joseph, he was using those two years to set up a monumental earthwide movement. Now I want you to hear this. God is never late. Now we think, in our opinion, he's late. It would should have felt better if he showed up earlier, but he is arranging for the salvation of the world. And he was setting the scene where God is orchestrating history. I want you to hear this, and I want you to hear it clearly. Because on Tuesday, we're going to be voting. Many of you have already voted. And I have been sick to see so many people panicking during this election. I want you to know that it's proof right here that despite how powerful a nation is, they're still under the sovereignty of God. And that is what God is showing us in the scripture. Egypt, which would have been one of the most powerful forces in the world in that day, Pharaoh, one of the most important powerful men in the world, still had to answer to a sovereign God. And I want you to know, it doesn't matter how powerful a nation gets, you know, if you would have said this back into Rome in the day when they were at a mass, the land mass they had and the power they had, if you'd have said, oh, you're going to answer to a sovereign God, they would have laughed at that situation because they thought they were so powerful. But it came. The downfall of Rome came. we got to be careful, United States, of putting our dependence on, on a man and on government instead of on God. Because one day we will stand before that sovereign God. And this scripture is just so full of 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 sharing that with us right there that all powerful nations will answer to a sovereign God. Let's pick it up in verse 14. I call this next section, in his time, in God's time, Joseph stood before Pharaoh. It says this, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes... He came in before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. I love that. It's it's not in me. He's not going to take credit. It's God who will give the answer. Verse 17. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile, and it goes into the, the, the dream once again. We're going to skip through that because we've already read about it. And we're going to pick it up in verse 25 after Pharaoh has shared the dream with uh, Joseph. In verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The two dreams have the same interpretation. But it's really interesting that, that Joseph says to Pharaoh, actually, you're honored that God has shared this with you before it happens. Verse 26, the seven good cows are seven years and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. You know, if you're having a great day, a great day, and one thing goes wrong, you forget about all the great things that happen. And that's what Joseph is saying. Listen, for seven years, you're going to bring in stuff, and it's going to be incredible what those seven years... But listen, when the seven years of famine come, you're going to forget the good years even existed. He's just telling him that blunt what's going to happen. Verse 32. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one fifth or 20 percent of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store it up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. Um, In his time, in God's time, he raised up Joseph to now stand before Pharaoh. Thirteen years in the pit. Thirteen years of being wondering, God, do you have a plan? All of a sudden, or coming to fruition in this one moment. And let me say this. Some of you have been waiting forever for God to show up at something. And he has been at work all along. Hang on. Hang on. Joseph could have given up at any point, but he did not. And it isn't amazing the dreams show up during this whole story. Two dreams got uh, Joseph in, into slavery. Two dreams got him remembered by the cupbearer and two dreams by Pharaoh are going to get him elevated to the second highest position in all of Egypt. Hang on. Hang on. And Joseph saw God's hand at work through this whole thing. I, I have thought about my character sometimes in the midst of this as God's testing character. And I thought about. Suppose Joseph, suppose I was Joseph. We always make ourselves the heroes in the story, don't we? And so we're standing before Pharaoh. we got this neat shaven head and shaven face and we've got this new garment and we're clean and we're standing before Pharaoh. And he tells us this dream and we know the answer, right? And so what would we have done? I sometimes think I may have said, I know the answer, but I'm not going to tell you you know just bow your neck with bitterness i'm not going to tell you i'm not going to tell you what the answer is that would probably cost joseph his life but but he could have done that or or he could have just got bitter and uh and told the wrong story or or do but 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 joseph's whole life was to give honor to god and so he stands with courage and boldness before jo uh before pharaoh and he tells the answer with confidence and he's bold And and I thought about this, and I want you to hear this. this. This is worth writing down that if you kneel before God, you can stand before anybody. And Joseph had learned in those 13 years of chiseling and sandpaper of God on his life, he had learned to kneel before God so that when the time came, he could stand in courage before anybody. And it tells me that in a day and age in which we live and that many people see Christians in a negative light and, and uh, stand, almost standing uh, against Christians in so many ways. God is calling us to stand and to be courageous and be bold in times like this. And, and if we do not learn how to kneel before God, we will never stand before an enemy. It will never happen. Or if we're not standing, it tells me we're not kneeling. And we need to be kneeling before God and we can stand before anybody. And Joseph not only gave an answer, but he gave a plan to Pharaoh. And he gave him, God gave uh, Joseph the boldness because Joseph knew what? He knew God was in charge. I think we need to remind ourselves that God is in charge. We need to remind ourselves that in times of division and times of political crisis and times of division in our nation, God is still on his throne and he is in charge. I'm reminded of the story of the, the little boy years ago that was on the banks of the Mississippi River and come the big old paddle, paddle wheel paddle boat that's coming down the, the mighty Mississippi and, and he's waving towards the the boat and a man asked him said uh, what are you doing and he said I'm, I'm waving for the paddle boat to come over here and pick me up and he said there's no way you can get the attention of that paddle boat to come over and pick you up and pretty soon the boat turned and came to the shore let out the plank and the little boy walked across it to get on the ship and the man yelled in him and said, how in the world were you able to do that? He said, you don't understand. My dad is the captain. And let me tell you, we live in a day where our dad is the captain. And he is on his throne. And we can hang on to that because our dad is the captain. Well, let's wrap up the portion of Scripture we'll be looking at today. And then Alan will pick it up next week. But in verse 37... Through verse 45, I call in time, in God's time, Joseph got promoted. He got promoted. Verse 37 says, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this... There is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. I have exalted you. I've elevated you. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring. From his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck and he made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name. He gave him a new name, Zaphanath Paneah. And he gave him in marriage, Asenath, the, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. In God's time, Joseph was promoted. This thing was fixed by God, Joseph said. This is going to happen whether you're ready for it or not. This time has been fixed by God, and God is going to shortly bring it about. And Pharaoh, because of this, said, Joseph, you're going to be number two in all the land. In other words, if that known day in that area, you would be number two of importance. You, I'm giving you my ring as authority, as a title that you have. I'm giving you a robe of favor. I wonder if Joseph, it didn't go through his mind. I'm not sure I want another robe. He said, I got a robe as a kid and my brothers sold me into slavery. I got the second robe and Potiphar's wife got it and I got in prison. I'm not sure I want this robe, but he was given a robe uh, of, of recognition. He was given a cold chain of significance. He was given a new name and um, scholars... Debate over what the name means exactly. Uh, like many names, it's hard to know. But one particular interpretation was heard from God and survived. And I thought, man, that is that would be a name. He got a, a company car. He got an expense account. He got a wife of power, a Gentile wife. All of these things were given unto Joseph. And what's interesting is, is Joseph now is in a place of prosperity and no longer in a prison, in a pit. And Joseph was not full of bitterness. You know, uh, you could have been, gotten bitter because of what has happened to you. And, and since you're number two in the land, you can do anything other than what Pharaoh once done. And so... You, you're number two in the land. You could have called Potiphar in there, Potiphar's wife or the cupbearer, anybody else that treated you harshly and you could have them done away with. But he did not do that because I believe payback was not in his vocabulary. We have a tendency to hang on to our nature in such a way that when we've been offended, we will not release until payback has happened to that person. But Joseph shows us here, payback, which should have been there, we think, was not there in him at all. There was no bitterness. And how you handle prosperity is really important. Prosperity can destroy you as much as poverty in how you handle it. And Joseph handled it correctly. In fact, he handled it in such a way... That Pharaoh said of Joseph, the Spirit of God is upon him. The Spirit of God is upon him. I wonder if that would be said about me. I wonder if that would be said about us. Because you see, the world will stand up and take notice where the Spirit of God is. And it scares me that is there enough in my life that shows the Spirit of God that people would take notice? You know, Jesus himself said, he said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its flavor, it's good for nothing to be thrown out and trampled under the feet of men. It scares me sometimes in our country that our affluence has has lulled us to sleep spiritually spiritually. And I wonder if the world, a lost world, looks at us anymore and doesn't ask questions at all. I was um, uh, walking the other day, walking the dog, and um, uh, came by one of the houses that um, they had scarecrows out in the the yard. They weren't scary. They were decorative for Thanksgiving and this kind of thing. They were all out there. And I had this thought come into my head, and uh, let me let me unpack it a little bit. It said... Uh, basically, I was thinking to myself, am I a scarecrow Christian? And what I thought about that is that, you know, scarecrows, when they're out in the cornfield or out in the wheat field or wherever they're at, they're there to prevent the birds, so the birds will think a person is out there. But if that scarecrow, after so long, is ineffective. It's not moving. The, the birds will just come in and take over. They, they don't fear the scarecrow at all. And I wonder sometimes if my walk with Jesus Christ is that there was a time when the enemy took notice and people said, oh, the Spirit of God is on him. But I wonder if, if because of my lack of movement and my lack of growth and my lack of things happening in my life, if the birds have just settled in and Satan doesn't even tremble. We've got to be careful. That's why I'm praying for brokenness and repentance in the church and in our nation so bad. We've got to be the real deal. We've got to, we can't be counterfeits. We can't mimic something. We can't live a particular lifestyle and think that the world is going to take notice. Yes, we live a positive lifestyle. But why? It's so we can give glory to God. So what? Three quick so what's. I promise you they'll be quick. Number one is this. God's plan will succeed. God's plan will always succeed. Um, it will happen in His perfect time. It will happen in His perfect time. Be patient. Brett challenged us with this last week, and, and I hope you take it to heart. God's plan... Will succeed. I mean, I think about how God has orchestrated everything. You see, from Genesis to Revelation, we see God's plan unfolding throughout all of the scriptures. And the second so what is this. God's plan will give Him glory and recognition. It will point to Him. We are so self-centered in our culture that we think, oh, maybe it will be all about me. No, no. It will be all about Him. It will give glory to Him. Because you see, the Scriptures tell us we exist for His good pleasure. That's why we exist. We exist for His good pleasure. And nothing is more fulfilling for the father than when his children give glory back to him. Let me give you a case in point. Many of your parents in this room and uh, you've had a situation where somebody comes up to you and uh, they say these flattery uh, words about your son or daughter. And it's like, no, oh, they're so nice. They're so sweet. They're And and you're thinking, I'm sorry you've got the wrong person here, all of a sudden. But but they're saying this, and then when you finally get your voice back, there's there's this sense of pleasure that maybe your kids are getting it. And I think it's the same thing with our Father, is that when we start to live it, the world takes notice, and He has brought pleasure, and He has brought glory and recognition. The third, so what, is this. God's plan always produces deliverance and salvation. His plan always produces deliverance and salvation. I mentioned the Scriptures you read the scriptures and many people read the bible and think oh it's just a history book no it's not you read you read how god set up a uh, a culture, the the Jewish nation. He set them up, and we read from. We're reading about Joseph. You can read about all of it in the Old Testament. How he set it up so that a Savior of the world would come out, Jesus. And we read about in the Gospels how he came and that he served and he gave his life as a ransom on a cruel cross. He rose from the dead, and then we read the letters of Paul and John and Peter, and we read all that's taking place in the rest of the scriptures, how that they are pointing to you and I can grow into the image of Christ and that we should be doing this. All of this from beginning to end is God's revelation and it will produce deliverance and salvation for mankind. We've got to see that. Christ follower, I speak specifically to you. I know not everybody in this room is a follower of Jesus. There's some that scare me that think they are, but they're not. But let me ask you that are true Christ followers, or let me say this to you. It's actually not all about us as individuals. We think in our culture the most important thing on all of the Internet is our Facebook page. Because we think the world revolves around us. And God has set in place a motion for all of deliverance and salvation for all of mankind. And yes, we benefit from that, but it is not all about us. I, I, I've been in church work for 40 years. And, and there's one thing that repeatedly happens occasionally. Occasionally. And someone will come and say, well, I don't go to that group anymore because I'm just not getting anything out of it, or I don't go to worship anymore. I've been doing, I've gotten everything out of it that I can, or oh, I'm not going to come back. I'm going to go, go do this because uh, I've just got, I just don't get anything out of it. And you know what my heart, my pastor's heart is, my, my pastor's tongue is a little more gracious, but my pastor's heart when it says, Get over yourself. Maybe you need to come for somebody else. Maybe you need to be there to love on somebody else and show the gospel to somebody else. It's not about you. It's about deliverance and salvation of mankind. I'll end with this. And, and and somebody may think, Well, that's a left hand turn. I'm not sure it has everything to do with what you've been preaching about. But it's 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 resonating in my heart. I'm reading through Jeremiah right now, studying through Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament and somebody says, Whoa, I've read Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and I just I just don't get it. I don't get it all. But I know the historical perspective, which helps me to understand it. And Jeremiah is talking to the uh, children of Israel, to the Jewish nation, who are about to fall to Babylon. And he's telling the people that you need to go with Babylon. Let them take over because if not, war and famine and disease are going to destroy you. But I want you to know that when they take you away, then I'm going to bring you back and God is going to set it all in motion for Jesus to come. Okay. And, and that's all of Jeremiah in a nutshell. And then he cries. And, and so the, the, you can just get all of Jeremiah. You got it but i 'm reading in there about that Jeremiah the Lord is speaking through Jeremiah when the people will eventually return to the promised land and uh, what it, what he 's saying to them he 's saying this is how God is going to take care of them and then in jeremiah thirty one twenty one he said something and, and You know, I'm reading through this not as ineptly as I need to. And and all of a sudden, God grabbed my heart. And it said this, basically. It says, and your princes, God is speaking through Jeremiah. He says, your princes, I am going to invite into my presence. Could Who would come into the presence unless they've been invited? And all of a sudden, that struck me. And let me tell you why it struck me. We are so flippant with God. And and what God is saying here is, I'm inviting this person into my presence because who would want to come into the presence of a holy God unless God himself has invited them to come. And that, I, I believe that's what God is doing for us today. He is saying, listen, I'm inviting you to come into my presence. Come on into my presence. That's where we need to go. I am so grateful for the nation I live in. I am so grateful for the freedoms I have. I am so grateful that we can disagree on things. But I am sold on this, that God is saying, I am inviting you to come. And today, He is inviting us to come. I believe this. And I believe that our country needs this. I want you to bow with me as Brett comes.